sing this line together again. And I'm not afraid to show you my weakness, my failures and flaws. Lord, you've seen them all, and you still call me friend. Oh, Lord, thank you for that truth tonight. Thank you that no matter what we have done, no matter what, Lord, you still invite us in. You still call us friend. Your arms are open to us. And how we praise you for that. Church, that is our good father we sing of tonight. So welcome to the worship gathering of Mosaic, uh, where we are a body of believers who also believe that we're, we're broken, uh, but all matter, and one gets the glory. And so to that end, let's sing tonight. It's good to see you here.
stand strong and worship you and if it puts me in the fire i'll rejoice because you're there too and i won't be fooled by feelings i hold fast to what is true and if the cross brings transformation i'll be
Let me read this scripture over you tonight. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Holding promises for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And that is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You can take a seat. Are the qualities you look for in a leader the same as what you look for in a good follower? Or are the marks of a good leader the same as the marks of a good follower? In a lot of settings, the answer would be no, not at all. Like I remember playing sports in high school and I can tell you the things that would make a successful coach were not the same things that made a successful player, right? Right? 
many of my coaches had no chance of dressing out and succeeding on the field at that point in their life. True? Right? We see this in business all the time, right? Oftentimes you have people who are amazing in sales and they get promoted into management and guess what? They're not great managers. Their gifting was really in sales and when you put them in a place of leadership, suddenly it's like, oh, this is an entirely different skill set and I'm not really good at it. I miss doing sales. That's what I was made for. And oftentimes that is the paradigm that we think about leadership in the church through is that you have one set of qualities that you need for leadership and a different set of qualities for everyone else. And that is the absolute opposite of what the scripture has to say about the family of God. That is not what the scriptures call the church to. In fact, I was trying to think of an example that looks more like this. We got kind of hooked on a show last year. Um, Did anybody else get hooked on a show during the pandemic? And this show was a a show that followed a bunch of adventure racers. This illustration is just for my friend Will Blanchard. And the way it would work is you'd get these teams of four, and they did this just absolutely insane seven-day race across Fiji, where you had to face like every kind of condition that you could imagine, every different kind of survival skill, and make it to the end. And all four of these people had to do every single thing. And guess what? Every group of four had a team captain. Were there any special skills that that team captain had? Were there any exercises that that team captain would do that the other three didn't have to go through with him? No. They had to do every single challenge together. They, every single thing that would make them successful for that race, all four of them had to do well. The, the job of the captain was to keep an eye on the whole team, to to have a vision for where they were going and help them stay at the right pace and in the right direction. But when it got time to run, guess what? They're all four doing the running and they all four move at the same pace. Okay, so why make this point? Because tonight we're looking at a passage where there's gonna be a little bit of a turn in in the way Paul's talking in 1 Timothy. He's been addressing all of these issues that are happening in the church. He's been talking about the false teaching that's happening, the distraction, the chasing after really weird myths instead of focusing on the core truth of the gospel. He's talked about the qualities that are required for elders and for deacons in the church. And at this point, he's going to turn from a whole bunch of instructions about what's true and what should be, and he's going to speak directly to Timothy as a minister. And he said, if you want to be a good minister, Timothy, here's what you need to do. And he's going to give a whole lot of commands directly to this one person, Timothy. And on the one hand, like what we're about to read tonight is a job description for a good pastor. And it is the standard that you should measure anyone in ministry against. So on the one hand, Like, what we're talking about tonight is what you should hold church leadership accountable to. And church leadership should be held accountable. Uh, We're not freaked out when you send us emails telling us areas we can grow. We actually invite that and we need that. And you are welcome to send us emails to correct us on anything you like. If you want to send me an email and tell me that I walk around on stage too much and that's distracting, that's totally fine. I accept that. We all need to grow. But tonight's passage is going to tell us the things you really should call us out on, the things that we really need to be held accountable to. And so we're gonna look at that, but I also wanna point something else that I want everyone to keep in the back of their minds. 
There is nothing we're gonna see in tonight's passage that applies only to leadership and not to everyone in the church. All of the things that Paul is gonna tell Timothy to do, in other places in the New Testament, he tells everybody in the church to do. So the point is not that Timothy's task is something radically different than every believer's. He's simply saying, I'm putting an extra responsibility for you to model these things in the church. And so let us not read through this tonight and think this is a passage about being on staff at a church. This is a passage for all of us to set a trajectory and priority as we walk with Jesus. Cool? Hey, let me pray and we'll jump right in. Lord, we love you. And God, I pray that as we study your word tonight, um, that you'll give us a direction. And Lord, that you will shape us, transform us. Um, let us do a little gut check on, on how we're doing. And uh, Lord, give us a passion for truth and godliness. And give us some practical steps on how we can grow. We love you and we pray things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, if you would turn your Bibles. And so this is where Paul turns his attention directly, like laser focus on Timothy. And he says, Timothy, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters. What are these things? Well, it's probably specifically the issues that we talked about last week, maybe more broadly, the whole list of things Paul's been talking about to this point. There's a whole list of things he's saying, Timothy, you need to address this, you need to address this, you need to address this. And now he says, Timothy, if you do, if you stand up in front of your church and address these things, then guess what? He says, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus. He said, this is the standard, addressing the core issues of the faith and pointing the people to godly character. That's your task. But look at what immediately follows after that. If you point these things out, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Notice, it is not enough for Timothy simply to stand up in front of the body and tell them all what they should be doing. It's not enough for Timothy to stand up and say, hey, this is what's true, you should all believe it. This is what you should do, you should all go do it. He says, Timothy, you have to be nourished on these words. These words have to give you life. So many people have been burned by Christians who are passionate to stand up and and take a stand for the truth who aren't willing to follow the truth when it costs them. And that is so true of my life. Like one of the great convictions of my life, because I'm good at talking a lot, is I often can explain clearly things that I've not yet lived out. And I often will stand up and preach a passage and feel deep conviction of I explain that very well and I do not live it. And Paul is challenging Timothy here. Timothy, if you're gonna call the church to these things, you have to be nourished by them. That word nourish, it could go one of two ways in meaning. It could mean nourishment in the sense of life-giving, or it could have a little bit of an edge of training, being shaped by them, formed by them, equipped by them. Either way, the idea is that the, the truth that Timothy's supposed to put out to the church needs to be a truth that is changing Timothy personally. One teacher I had explained it this way. He said, every believer gets to to have the choice on whether or not they're gonna be like a pipe or a tree. Okay? For a pipe, water comes in one end, out the other, 
and the pipe is unchanged. A tree soaks up the water, gets life from it, and bears fruit. And the challenge was, never be a pipe. Never be someone who can just take in God's word, spit it back out, and let yourself be unchanged. You know another place I think this is a huge threat is in parenting. Have any parents ever found the word of God really useful for correcting your kids? Right? Guys, kids have an amazing hypocrisy radar, don't they? Like if I ever tell Karis, hey honey, we only take one popsicle, how, aware, how quickly is she aware when I grab my second popsicle? Like the incredulity and the unfairness is so strong, right? Like they see it, they sniff it out. And if they do it in the really small things like getting popsicles, do you think they're gonna do that whenever we point to the value of God's word and trusting the Lord with what we say, but we don't follow it ourselves? So Timothy's saying, or Paul's saying to Timothy, hey, if you're gonna stand up and teach this, there has to be something happening in your life where you're being shaped by it. And so then he's gonna go on from there. He's saying, this is the standard. Point people to what's true while you're pointing yourself to what's true. While you yourself are being nourished by the word. Think about the difference between the adventure racing captain and the coach. Coach doesn't have to do conditioning, does he? He can sit there and blow his whistle while everybody else runs, right? On the adventure racing team, everybody trains. Everybody works out together. So he's saying, Timothy, you gotta grow in this. And then he continues in verse seven. He says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. So this is referring back to all the myths and the crazy stuff we talked about at the beginning that people were getting distracted by. They were going away from the core truths of scripture and committing all their attention to studying something else, even if we're not exactly sure what it was. He says, don't get distracted by that stuff. Rather, train yourself to be godly. That word training is gonna be crucial. I wanna camp on it for a little bit. Let's let Paul finish out his metaphor here. He says, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all people and especially of those who believe. Paul commands Timothy that he is going to have to train himself in godliness. Now, I don't know what tradition you've come from, but I can imagine for some people that idea of training in godliness could grate against your nerves just a little bit. Because we've, we've tended to have a little bit of a pendulum swing in the church. Here's what that looks like. We have a radical legalism that says you have to do everything right in order to be a good person and be accepted by God. And then we pendulum swing in reaction to that all the way over here and say, it's not about doing, it's about trusting. It's not about working, it's about believing. And we'll tell people there should be no work. If you're working, if you're trying hard, then you are not trusting Christ. And we describe a situation that often kind of looks like a deliverance model where if, you are, if you're having any temptation with sin, if you're having any idea or lie in your mind, then you just really haven't trusted the Lord enough. And the minute you trust the Lord, snap, it's gone. It's just gonna disappear and you're not gonna be tempted anymore. That thought will never come back into your mind again because God just took it away from you. Now, can that happen? 
sure, there are people who have those kinds of moments where it's just all in a moment they experience deliverance. I'm not gonna say God doesn't do that for some people. What I'll say is that is not the normal way God works. The normal way God works is over progress as people continually, day after day, give themselves over to him. It's not, on the one hand, trying to do good things so you'll be a good person and God will love you. It's not that, but it's, not, it's also not sitting back and thinking, if I just believe enough, this will get easy. Instead, what Paul is calling us to is to trusting that God has already loved you, forgiven you, saved you, made you his child, completely loved and redeemed, so there's nothing left to earn, nothing left to prove. Now, let's start training ourselves in enjoying that love. Let's start training ourselves in letting those things go. And he says, he compares it to physical training, like exercise. Um, By the way, do we see value in exercise in this country? You ready for a fun stat? You wanna know how much we spent on gym memberships last year in America? $28.6 billion. $28.6 billion went to gym memberships. 6% never went. 6% of the people that bought gym memberships never showed up, okay? Now, is that a bad thing? Of course not. Guys, I sat on Zoom meetings for an entire year and had access to my fridge all day when when, when I was working. I need to get in shape, right? I know the way my family's wired, the way my body type is, and it's like a life and death matter about me being physically healthy. We're not trashing on the body here. Paul's not saying the body doesn't matter. This isn't some kind of weird Gnosticism where the body, the physical doesn't matter, only the spiritual matters. That's not what he's saying. He says, yes, taking care of your body matters. Physical health matters. But if, physical health matters, how much more does training your soul to love God matter? How much more does it matter how much we prepare our souls to enjoy the Lord? Anybody in here get bored when you pray? Bunch of liars, repent. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Let me try again. Anybody else in here get bored when you pray? Thank you. Okay, guys, I mean, for me, it's remarkable. I've got about a five-second attention span in prayer. Like, it's really, really bad. Um, I struggle to open my Bible and read it with any kind of directed attention to the Lord. You know why that is? Because my love and affection for Jesus is not very strong. And in fact, it's very similar to whenever I realized, man, I got crazy out of shape during 2020. And so we have a little dog, and my daughter, the dog, and I decided to go out for a run. And let me tell you, it was shockingly embarrassing how quickly I was worn out. My daughter's going, seriously? I'm going, yes, seriously, let's go home. We're done. Okay, the reality is we don't have capacity naturally to enjoy God. Our flesh, the the part of us that is in rebellion against God, does not naturally cherish him. That's a sad reality, isn't it? Let's just take a minute to take that in. 
Because of what sin has done to us, we don't naturally cherish God. And what he is saying is, enjoying and delighting in time with the Lord is actually something you have to cultivate in yourself. Not because you have to earn something or become a good person so God will love you, because he really is the most satisfying in all the universe. But our tastes are distorted. I'm told, this is a myth that I've heard about out there among healthy people. Y'all can tell me it's actually true. I'm told that if you eat healthily long enough, you'll crave healthy food. Is that true? Okay, people tell me that's true. Um, We'll find out if it ever happens in my life. But apparently, you can actually cultivate an appetite for healthy things. But guess what? It does not happen in a day. When you spent your life eating crunch berries and Oreos like I did, vegetables don't taste good. They just don't. But over time, when you commit, you will cultivate a desire to be with the Lord. My wife has modeled this for me in an incredible way. Like she recognized by faith that Jesus is what I need more than anything else. And she recognized, I I don't have a natural capacity. I'm super distracted. Now this was her thing. This doesn't have to be anyone else's thing. But she realized I have to be in complete darkness to be able to pray. If I can see anything, I'm distracted. So she literally goes into her closet, sits on the floor, turns the lights out and closes the door to pray because she can't have anything else around. And she does that daily. And she has cultivated an appetite so that when she doesn't have that time, she hungers for time to sit down and talk to the Lord about what's going on in her life. She longs for that because she's cultivated it. And we have, we have got to get out. Um, sometimes in our kind of Southern Bible Belty culture, we give gold stars for being good Christians. And we measure how good we are based on how much we pray how much of the Bible we've memorized. And that is, that is death to cultivating a love with Jesus. Imagine if you did that with friendships. Imagine if you kept a star chart for how much you hang out with your friend and how good of a listener you are. And you actually asked them to reward you at the end of every month if you were a good friend. Can you imagine what a dumb friendship that would be? And so what Paul is calling Timothy here to is that you are going to have to connect these theological truths that you've been teaching to the desires and the motivations of your heart so that you enjoy time with the God who saved you. And it doesn't happen overnight. Because it doesn't happen overnight, you also probably have to start small. Like you're not gonna jump in to a three-day fast and three hours of prayer a day. Probably not gonna happen. So we're gonna talk a little bit later about what are some practical steps you can do. But I think it's important that we see that, that Paul is putting out there for Timothy, you're gonna have to train yourself for godliness. And then he continues in verse 11. 
verse 11, and he points to me, he says, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Okay, so now we gotta talk about this idea of not letting anyone look down on you because you're young. There are two values that seem to be put out even in 1 Timothy when we talk about leadership. On the one hand, there's a value for elders and maturity, and then there's a value that he says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. What does that tell us? I think ultimately what it tells us is what God values is not age, but spiritual maturity. What he values is a heart that has been shaped by Jesus. So therefore, in a culture where we tend to really love young people and young things, and we tend to think that because somebody is really trendy and knows how to leverage social media to get a movement going, they are the ones we should follow all the time. And on the one hand, the scriptures call us, don't be taken in. I'm not knocking young people. I'm kind of one of them. But saying, don't be taken in by the flashiness of youth. Respect the maturity of age. And at the same time, younger people, don't be afraid to pursue the Lord and even lead just because you're young. One of the moments that struck me about this I didn't ask Colin his permission to tell this story. I'm just gonna do it anyway. When Colin Jackson was first considering coming on staff here at this church and we were sitting down in an interview with him and he was, he was very young. He was right out of college. And the question I asked him, I said, Colin, you are going, in the role you're gonna be in, you are gonna be leading people who have literally been believers longer than you've been alive. And you might have to challenge them someday. How are you gonna do that? And without, a, without hesitation, he said, well, I'd sit down with him and say, hey, look, I don't have the position, the maturity to call you out at all. You're, you've been following Jesus longer than me and I look to you as my leader. But you and I both together sit under the authority of God's word. So can we look at this together and ask each other how are we living up to this and hold each other accountable? And I recognized in that moment a depth of spiritual maturity in a young guy that I was like, I'm gonna follow this guy. And so you can imagine Timothy has been sent in as a young, you know, you've got Paul who's the hero that everybody knows that planted this church and he sends poor young Timothy to go mop up a messy situation. And you can imagine he's asking Timothy to do something tough. And he's saying, hey, Timothy, don't let your youth cause you to step back from having the courage to what God's calling you to do. Step out and lead and check this, let your godly character be your qualification. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but instead set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. You say, don't, yeah, so you don't have the age, you don't have the experience some of these other people do. So key in on being godly and let the depth of your character be what qualifies you to speak. And he says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of the elders laid their hands on you. We get three words here talking about what you're supposed to do with the scripture. You're supposed to read it publicly, and then you're supposed to preach it. That has to do with telling people what to do with it. That's kind of the challenge element. And then the teaching it, that's explaining what the beliefs and the, the ideas that come out of it are. Now remember, at this time, no one in the congregation had a copy of a Bible. 
there would have been probably one copy of the scriptures that everyone had. So imagine, you don't get to read the Bible ever until the group comes together. So you would all come together and say, hey guys, today we're gonna hear from the prophet Isaiah. And they'd open it up and everyone would lean in. One of my profs told the story. Um, He went, this was during the era of the Soviet Union, and he went to train a group of underground pastors. And he was an expert in the Psalms. That was kind of his thing. So he was gonna spend a week with them training them in the Psalms. He was gonna be teaching through a translator. And whenever he started to teach, or whenever he got there to teach, the person who had organized it said, hey, when you read the scripture out loud, read really slowly. And he's like, oh, that's cool. I guess they have like a respect for God's word. And all these pastors come in with blank notebooks and he goes, Psalm 1, and they take their pencils and he starts reading Psalm 1 and they start scribbling the Psalm down really quickly. Their churches had no scriptures. They were waiting for that moment to hear the Psalms for the first time so they could copy down their own copies to take back to their church. The idea here is in light of all of the noise in the culture that was happening, all the, the confusing myths and controversies, what people needed was to saturate themselves with the scriptures. That was their anchor point. It's the old principle about how to tell a fake bill, right? You don't study all the fakes, you study the true thing. He's saying, Timothy, saturate your people in God's word. Read the scripture, preach the scripture, teach the scripture, have people that are just soaked in the scriptures. And then he closes it out in verse 15 with one more command, nothing really new. He just reminds me again, be diligent in these matters. Diligent, stick with it, persevere. Don't get off track. Don't let anything distract you. Give yourself wholly to them. Do you hear the emphasis that Paul's putting here? Diligence, keep going. Give yourself wholly, give all that you have to it so that everyone may see your progress. And then here's the final command, and this is the priority. Watch your life and your doctrine. Watch your personal character and watch what you believe. Stick to the truth. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourselves, yourself and your hearers. When it comes to sticking close to God, these, this is life and death stuff. And so he says, Timothy, both for yourself and for the people in the congregation, Stick to the truth and train yourself in godliness. So what do we do with this as a congregation? How does this become practical? Let me give you a couple of ideas of what we need to do from here. Remember that idea of training. A mentor of mine, you've probably heard me quote him a hundred times, Gary Oliver, he always says, you cannot try for godliness. We train for godliness. You don't just go out there one day and give it all your effort and think you're gonna be godly. It's something you train for repeatedly over and over again. So how do we do that in this church? I mean, first of all, that's why we gather. That's why we teach straight through the scriptures is we wanna be saturated with the word of God. And we also wanna train our people in the word of God. So something you're gonna be hearing about a lot more in Mosaic is the idea of the training center. These classes where we have a chance to deepen our understanding of the depth of God's word and truth and theology. And the next opportunity we have coming up, we've mentioned it to you before. I'm gonna mention it again on November 6th. We got Mark Yarbrough coming from Dallas Seminary to spend the day working with us in more depth 
in 1 Timothy. I wanna encourage you to sign up for that. 35 bucks, you get a day of teaching from a seminary prof, lunch is included. It's a really great opportunity. All you have to do is go to mosaicnwa.org slash news and you can sign up there. So we wanna train, we wanna be a church that trains ourselves deeply in the word. And then we wanna be a church that takes practical steps of training in godliness where we connect the truth that we study to the life that we live. And the most practical way to do that is to begin in prayer. Prayer is the place where our hearts connect with the God who's leading us. And so what we're gonna be doing more and more in our services is we're gonna be having some pauses where during service we learn a new prayer practice. We practice praying together in a certain way. And we're gonna do it here on Saturday night, but the goal is not just to do it for a few minutes on a Saturday night. The goal is that we learn a prayer practice and then we follow up in community group and we practice it together. And then we implement it in our daily routine. Maybe it looks like setting aside like three minutes this week each day to practice getting on our knees before the Lord in prayer. Train ourselves in the word and train ourselves in godliness, cultivating an appetite to be with the Lord. God, we love you. We wanna give ourselves wholly to you. So tonight, as we get ready to respond, as we get ready to have a, a time of just a prayer pause to practice coming to you, Lord, I pray that as we, as we engage this time, this won't just be a rote exercise, but that, Lord, right now, we will enter into it with the attitude of training for godliness, cultivating a heart that loves being with you. We love you, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so um, tonight, what we're going to do is, as Nick said, we're going to do a prayer practice and in just a minute, I'm going to invite all of us who can to kneel before God and to humble ourselves before him. But before, we, and I'm going to guide you through some of that. But before we do, um, I want us to just take a deep breath. In fact, let's take four deep breaths and just relax before God. So if I could invite, if you're physically able, please go ahead and just kneel uh, in the pews. And I find for myself that the posture of my body can make a significant difference in the posture of my heart. Paul says to the Philippians that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Apostle Peter, as he saw Jesus for who he was and he saw himself for who he was, fell on his face and says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And so in light of how great God is, I would like to invite us to humble ourselves before him. And I'd like you to share with God, just in the, as, as Russ always used to say, just in that place where you and Jesus share. I'd like you to just tell God your desire for him or your lack of desire for him and cry out to him for help.
next I'd like us to just declare to him, God, I need you far more than I realize. And now, I'd like you to just talk with God about whatever you need to in terms of pride, arrogance in your own heart, and just lay that before him. Feel free to take whatever posture you'd like as we jump into song. You are my Lord, and I have no good beside you, God. And I have no need apart from you, Jesus.
Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is Tells me of the guilt within 
Thank you for your posture toward us, of open arms, full acceptance of us. Would you soften our hearts and allow us to approach this throne of grace? Amen. Well, church, as always, we want to pray with you. And so if you have any need or if tonight just raised awareness of uh, your need to encounter God in prayer, we have people who would love to help you with that. So our prayer team would be on the wings uh, after this service. And there's prayer cards and boxes in the back that you're able to uh, drop uh, prayer needs in, and, and those will be prayed for. We love you, Mosaic, and we'll see you again next week.